Hello everyone. Um, so this is live with Leo, and I want to welcome uh, a friend of mine and one of the top SaaS salespeople that I know, um, Abbas Somji. And Abbas is a senior AE at Scoro, who's had a very, very interesting career. Um, so today we're going to be diving into that and learning a bit more about you know what he's learned throughout his time. So Abbas, welcome. Thanks. Thanks, Leo. That was uh, probably the nicest introduction I've ever had. Uh, so <laughs> appreciate it. No, Making good. me blush. Good, 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 good. So look, Abbas, I've I've looked into like I've looked into your background. I've spoken to you a few times, and one of the things that I actually didn't know until today was you have a, a background in chemical engineering. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> um so that's a really odd bit about me that every time I speak every time it gets brought up in conversation, they're like, what? It doesn't make sense. Um, and it doesn't make sense to me either. So I basically went to do chemical engineering at uni um, because I wanted to go into like either down the banking route or some something like that, right? Something uh, finance related. I got told engineering disciplines were a good way to kind of open doors. Um, after first year, I realized I absolutely hated it. Um, but wanted to get out as quickly as possible. So rather than, you know, doing what actually a lot of my friends did, which was change course based on what, you know, their taste or whatever, I just kind of sucked it up and did it for the three years. Um, but then immediately decided that it wasn't for me and like didn't look at any grad jobs or any placements within Chem Edgefield. Um, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do either. So that's like, that's like common. The same with me, like I graduated, hadn't got a clue. I guess, like, how did you get into your first sales role? Um, so, so for me, in all honesty, it was when I was younger. So I'd say from about like twelve years old, I was the I was the kid who used to sell Lucas Aids and sweets in the uh, in in the school, right? And so I always had something going on, some sort of hustle, some sort of lick to be had. And I grew up kind of doing that up until uh, probably up until sixth form. And after sixth form, you know parents kind of told me that you know it's time to focus on education things like that uni's coming up and so I kind of let it go um, and I lost a bit of the hustle through uni and I noticed that that's something I really missed and so in my final year of uni um, I just I just felt like I couldn't talk to people as effectively anymore I was a bit like more anxious around people and so I decided in my final year of uni that I would um, I would get a sales role again, but like in a retail store. So I started working in a luxury watch shop, um, so Goldsmiths. And then that's kind of what got my desire for sales back up again, because it was a more complicated sale than, say, for example, most retail, because you're selling, you know, three, four, five, ten thousand pound watch. And that's what really excited me is getting people over the line, understanding what they were doing and that's what got the cogs wearing into, yeah, I want to do sales for a living again. What was that like selling watches? I imagined, I, I can't imagine it being easy if you're selling that kind of, you know, ticket, if that makes sense. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a weird experience. Very enjoyable. You, you kind of come across all sorts of people. And I think that's why I was, I was quite good in my store. So in my store, I only used to work Saturday and Sunday but I had, um, I beat the target of full-time employees by two times the amount. And it was because I would just go up to everyone. So, you know, typically like the stereotype with jewelry stores is, you know, staff are a bit snooty and 
that was kind of the case. And so I would go up to the guys in overalls. I would go up to the guys, you know, who, who looked a bit scruffy because I know that money doesn't look a certain way. And so, you know, sometimes I had these plumbers who just have cash money on them looking to spend some, you know, looking to feel good and feel, 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 um, a bit of luxury for the day and you know I had this one guy who bought two watches off me in cash um and that was like my target done for for two weeks and so but no one would approach these kind of people and so that's kind of I found it quite easy um I also do have a passion for watches so part of the reason I also got fired from that place is uh, I started my own watch dealing business um, and diamond dealing business, of course. Um, and so, but that also helped me get into the SaaS space. Amazing. So what, walk me through when you got fired, what did you, what did it feel like? Uh, it, it was, it was really funny actually, because um, it was, it, it was like, it felt like I was going into a police interview room, right? So they kind of they're like oh we, we need to talk and I was like I was like fuck like have I done something like have I you know have I messed up everything goes on in your head like did did yeah. I did I steal something by accident like I don't know like did I walk out with a ring or something like that and so yeah they they took me to this room and it was like dark and dingy and one of them was standing one of them was sitting and I found it like I found it hilarious because I was like my god these guys are taking whatever has happened like to the nth degree right and then they like printed out my Instagram uh, of like my um, my watch business. And what was hilarious is the guy who was like stood up. Um, so I won't say his name now, but the guy who stood up was the one egging me on to start the business. Like he was one of the managers there and he was like, yeah, there's no problem. Because I told them early on, like, hey, I'm starting this thing. I think two weeks after launching, I made I made a I made a good, decent amount of money. So I think in, in about two weeks, I earned like just off chance of like these deals coming in all at once right so there was three months worth of deals but came in at once it was like I think I made something like six grand in profit right and so obviously I think the um you know it got a bit political and they had and he I went on my Instagram later and he had deleted all of his comments like he had you know because he was and I was like that is such a I got snaked so hard and so that was the big surprise for me and so they told me to um they told me like I have to go on a permanent leave or something like that unpaid leave and then I was like I was like you know what I'll just quit now and so I went next door to the other jewelry shop and then I I started working there immediately um and they didn't really care either until they found out a few months later but by then I had my SaaS job so I was gonna quit anyway um but yeah you know, it was good fun you, like when you're making that kind of money did did you ever think that, all right, I'm going to do this full time? Yeah, it, it crossed my mind, you know, but I think the, the the problem was with the problem I found with like jewelry, watches, things like that is the, the there's a lot of business risk involved. Right. So particularly if you've got if part of your job is to post on Instagram, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds of watches um. And, you know, someone could be on your Instagram that hasn't got the best intentions. You're essentially, you know, there's a lot of risk in like all of the watch dealers I was aware of, like have been robbed at one point, have, you know, been have had stuff taken out on them. And so it wasn't a stress that I really necessarily wanted. Um, it's something that I'm continuously interested in. And I think it might be something down the line that I get involved with. 
but to set up a business like that and make it good you need I was doing like maybe one watch every two months right so it would be all in one go I'd make like a monthly salary but it wasn't um without investing like having investment in stock and insuring it properly one robbery and you're flat on your ass again so it was it was a conscious decision of mine to kind of you know keep it as a hobby um but yeah that's kind of why I veered off sick um and then you mentioned you got that SAS job had tell me the tell me the first SAS job you got so, so I actually, I tried to apply for an FX brokerage because this was just <laughs> after Wolf of, Wolf of Wall Street. And this is also when all the FX boys were making a lot of money on the gram, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, get me involved, you know, but I'll, I'll go down the legit route. And so I remember um, I interviewed at this uh, at this one place and it was like, and I, no, I interviewed at so many places, got to final stages. And then like for some reason or another, um, didn't get it ended up going through 300 applications 50 first stage interviews probably 20 final stage interviews um, and then like eventually I honed down on um, a company called Yardlink um, and a company called which I ended up at Global Data now Yardlink was like your kind of underdog um, was it like startup um, and I wasn't that confident in the startup space um, at the time. And then Global Data was already like a billion pound unicorn or whatever. Um, and so after kind of having a chat with my parents, decided that Global Data seemed the safer option. I think in hindsight, probably Yardlink would have been more fun. Um, but yeah, so that's how I kind of got the Global Data job. And I, I think my side hustles really set me apart from other candidates. Um let's let's go back to when you're applying for them roles right i think some of the things that i wish i learned when i was younger was like oh i wish it was a, i wish i knew it was a numbers game like what was your mentality when you were going through all them applications so there was um yeah so i think the first four months of my job search so i came out of uni i think i can't remember when probably like july or something like that and four months passed and nothing was hitting like I was doing this retail job and I basically become full time there and I'm slowly watching my soul just disintegrate. Um, and so, you know, you get those like customers and you're like, no one should talk to me like that. Like all this, you, you start getting worked up and you're like, you know, what, fuck this. Like I'm bigger than this. Like I want to go somewhere else. And so after four months, I just sat down and I was like, I need to make looking for a job my job. Um, so I treated it like a on my free days. I treated it like a nine to five. So I would literally, and this is where kind of, I think the best SDRs kind of have this mindset, right? Which is I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but I was prospecting. And so I'd build a huge list of all the jobs I'd want to go to, build a list of like the hiring managers and start messaging them individually and start, you know, calling people, trying to get an interview um, and just seeing what happens, taking a punt. Um, and I think it's when I started doing like, what I did was I do I do 50 applications on day one and then I top up by 10 each day and that was my kind of thing and so by then I had a real strong pipeline and even after I accepted the offer at Global Data I had more and more interviews coming up which I, some of them I just took right because your your pipeline is kind of delayed gratification right you get you get that later um but yeah it was it's probably similar to what you found out you know like it's it's just a numbers game right so then 
that's really interesting. So walk me through, like, you know, when you've gone into that SAS SDR role, is that is that the role that you went into as an SDR, right? Yeah, yeah, as an SDR. So what was that like? Because I imagine, like, it seems like you had probably a different mentality compared to probably an entry-level, straight-out-university minds person, if that makes sense. Yeah, it was like, um, so global data was a really interesting one for me because it was like, I really loved it at the start of it. Like it was, it felt like you were on like a, you know, real cut cost version of Wolf of Wall Street, right? Everyone's in suits. You go in there, you stand up, you call all day um, and you're trying to pitch all these like biotech companies and things like that. And so I'm very kind of, I think that's what gave me like the raw grit and determination. Um, But something really interesting happened, which is when COVID hit, I realized I actually didn't like selling the product. Now, the we had people on our team who, so we were selling like a healthcare data, right? So we had people on the team who had like a, you know, engineering background or science background who are really passionate about the product that they were selling. And you could see it in their results, right? They'd be a top performer. And I, I would say at Global Data, I was probably a B player, um, you know, not, not an A player by any means. Um, and so... I noticed when COVID hit, like I just couldn't bring myself to do the dials that I was meant to do or, you know, do do the outbound that, you know, was required for me to be successful. And so, and it was because I just wasn't interested in the product. And so that's when I started thinking, okay, I need to go somewhere where I'm excited about what we do. Interesting. That's a really interesting point you make in terms of uh, the product side of things. Do you think you can get away with not being interested in the product or eventually you'll be found out? I think eventually you'll be found out. Like, I think if you're if you're at a company where you think this is the second or third market leader, then go work for the first. You shouldn't, if if you believe that you've got a second rate product, you'll sell it like a second rate product. I, I, I feel anyway. If you truly believe you've got some sort of edge or with certain ICPs, you're brilliant, right? So, you know, classic kind of, two competitors are like Salesforce and HubSpot, right? So I can imagine myself selling HubSpot because I've been at plenty of startups where it's the best to ever, right? You can do automated outreach, things like that. But I can also see as a Salesforce employee, them also having that opinion that they're the best because they appeal to, you know, enterprise and things like that, right? Really effectively. Um, So whereas I wouldn't be happy, say, for example, not to shit on any CRMs, but like I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be at Zoho, for example, right? Because I don't believe that that's, that's a market leading product. That's that's pretty interesting. I think, yeah, I mean, for example, same with me with HubSpot, where I'm like, I've used HubSpot and I use Salesforce, and like you can just champion Hub, you champion HubSpot even if you don't work for them, right? It's like you exactly. just, yeah. It's just, yeah. So I completely understand that. Um, now, in terms of you've hit that. You've hit that barrier, which I guess everyone is going to hit once in their life or numerous times. What what did you do from there? Yeah, I think there's so there's there's, there's like two things I'll I'll say as well. So there's not a single salesperson that has hit every single target, and there's not a single salesperson that's been successful in every role that they've been in. Um, and if they do say those two things, that they're they're, they're bullshitting, right? Um, so, um, but yeah, so what I ended up doing was one of my friends actually left Global Data um, like a month before and moved to a company called Factory 4. Um, and when I was looking for a job, I mentioned it to him and he was like, you know, uh, come come work here. So I interviewed with a chap named James um, 
and yeah it was like he James James really pulled me in you know it's like I got excited about what they were doing I love the scrappiness of it going to like a really tiny office in Victoria and just you know almost school desks being there and you just you just like phone in a dream right um that that was really exciting and seeing the what excites me about startups or startup scale-ups is you can see how your number affects the business mm. um whereas at global data i really felt like a you know like a like a, a really small metric you know if i went if i stayed it's not really a big deal um but at a startup you can really make your mark and do things in a different way as well there's a bit more flexibility and james was james the leader at yeah, yeah. So James was uh, James quickly became the head, I think within a week of me joining, um, the old head of sales left. He became the head of sales, and so he's had a really similar path to me and you as well. Um, so he's uh, someone when I made the move from my last place to here, um, he's someone that I called to just get some headroom on you know which route do I want to go down because he's been through the young head of sales or young sales leader pathway and you know knows the there's a kind of landscape been through it and can tell me, you know, can tell me what to do essentially. And, uh, you know, when you're starting into your role, like I think one of the things that I've realized is it's really important to have a mentor, but then like someone that's walked your path. Yeah. Because yeah. I've always like trying to be that person for other people. And I realize how important it is to have someone there. Is that, do you, do you see that, see it the same way? Yeah. I think, I think it's really good to have, people you can lean on within the industry um I've you know through my time as well you had like peers that you rely on you find these uh you find these mentors that you kind of go back and forth with um but I think it's yeah it's really important to have someone that you can trust for advice because when left to your own devices especially in this industry there's a lot of there's a lot of lies there's a lot of deception manipulation things like that and you really need someone to sometimes take a step back and be like, hey, by the way, where you're at is not a 200 million pound company. It's probably never going to be it. And, you know, this is how you should move around. Yeah, I think one of the things that <laughs> is it's quite a hard pill to swallow is that when you're so emotionally involved in your in your in your area. Right. And then someone yeah. that has no emotional involvement comes in with pure logic just says it to you how it is and it's only you almost get stung you're almost like oh fuck and you don't want to believe it but you know you, you feel a bit stupid right yeah and you don't want to believe it. you don't want to be like nah he, he doesn't get it or she doesn't get it like it's they don't understand but in reality they're just seeing it from pure logic and no emotion yeah 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 and i think that's what's that, that's what's really important i mean wh when did you kind of start getting into um was it uh when did you start having like your first mentor within the industry so i didn't have my first like sales mentor until later on in the industry um okay. and so what i was doing is this is a question i was gonna ask you is i just had to i was in, in the industry that i was in it was a bit secluded so i didn't really have like i was speaking with a lot of sales leaders but i wasn't actually like networking and that's probably down yeah. to me i didn't network enough and so what i was doing because i was trying to like basically just build my networks. I was just messaging people on Rev Genius, messaging people on LinkedIn, like just trying to build some sort of, you know, like relationship with someone. So it wasn't until like two years, three years into my role that I started to get that mentor and then just said to me like, okay, this is what it looks like. This is what it is. This business is exable. This one's not, you know, 
And so it took me a, a long longer. And I was gonna ask you the same question. You're like, how did if you if someone was to ask you about how do I get a mentor, right? What would you say to them? I think it's about hmm, it's a it's a bit of a difficult one to answer because it's you can find mentors within your business. Um, so sometimes they will be there and sometimes you will come across genuine sales leadership that's out there to help and support you. Um, and so that's an important part for me of where I choose to move or like when, when I choose to select places now. Um, but the other part is like, I, I just think constantly adding value. Um, I think LinkedIn's a great tool for not having to go to networking events or conferences and just you know really just messaging someone on there um there's there's um i hope he doesn't mind me saying this but like there's the the, the vp of sales at hakode nazri um we met through actually a um i don't remember what it was i think i connected with him on linkedin um ended up kind of evaluating their software for coral um which i was at but then we kind of you know sporadically keep in touch whenever I need something he's like he's such a helpful person you know when I was thinking about potentially moving or staying at Coral um, he helped me made a lot of sense of it but that was just because you just everyone's a message away and I think the the industry as a whole is really helpful because we all kind of go through it the same way um, and so I think that's where the social networking and things like that come really into play. Yeah you're so right with LinkedIn right it literally is drop on the message you, you've looked at their post like i really love and if there's a post that really resonates with you man there's just the conversation just opens up yeah yeah um and so in terms of factory four walk me through that that experience up until coral that was that that was probably like one of the most fun times of my career um so it was uh it was me and a, a few guys so me hamish florian govin um and we were just like it was just a phone in a dream, right? Um, so we would we would literally because it was COVID, we had nothing else to do but sell. Like this was this is when you couldn't walk out of your house twice a day, you know? Yeah. And so we ended up building so much pipeline and so much um we would call literally dusk till dawn. Now um so we would like you know 9 a.m start do do europe and then do us and i had texas so I, sometimes i'd be calling till 11 p.m right um but the um yeah we built so much pipeline and stuff like that that uh, f4 chose to let go of all their us sales team and gave us the whole gave us the whole shebang so they doubled down on headcount within the uk and I think everyone kind of had their, it was quite cool to see because you had a team full of A players and everyone had their kind of, you know, unique skill set, right? So you had someone like Hamish, who was like just ferocious on the phones, right? He would, he would call day and night. He'd, he'd always be in the three figures for dial count. Um, and then you had someone like me who like, I'm not gonna not gonna sit here and tell you I do two hundred dollars a day, right? I'd do between forty and sixty, but I'd build the most most pipeline because I was really in my prospect. I spent most of my time lead sourcing and prospecting good kind of ICP clients, and so that was my kind of specialty, right? Like messaging and um, building pipeline, right? Um, so yeah, it was really good fun, really good fun. And in terms of like, I guess maybe earnings, what was that like? Was it just still like Dog kind of, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dog shit. And so this is this is this is what tends to happen, right? Is you get 
you get sold on equity, you get sold on shares, you, you all start doing the calculations, right? And so you're like, oh, it doesn't matter that I'm getting bumped by, you know, 20, 30 grand, according to the rest of the market. Um, I'm going to make a million quid here, you know, in two years when we sell this thing. And little do you know, you're an SDR, you, you're the first one to get fucked. Um, <laughs> and so... And so you're just you're just left with you know you're just left with a bit of disappointment. Um, I think if you go in with in it with the right mindset, you'll do really well. But there was like you know there, there was some uh, there there was some like weird stuff that happened. Like they promoted everyone. Then um, after after I left, they uh, promoted half the team to other positions and then laid everyone off immediately, which was like a crazy little four weeks. And you're seeing a lot of that this year but I saw it really early on um so I guess that kind of you know signal I can normally when I'm in the business I can tell when it's about to hit the fan um mm -hmm. pretty well so yeah it's it's always an interesting moment so you're in a role that you sound like you've actually had some fun you made some really good connections what's what sparked the move the move was basically um I don't, I don't want to don't really want to name names, but we, we had a new manager and I just didn't see eye to eye with him. Um, mm -hmm. And it's probably, it's not his fault. It's not my fault. We just didn't, we just didn't gel well. Um, and I couldn't see, I couldn't see me getting past the fact that, oh, it also was a bit of a learning lesson for me, right? The, the one thing I learned was the the business didn't value pipeline or um, money generated. They valued dial count and effort. And so what was happening was when those promotional decisions were happening, there was a lot of focus on that. Um, and then the other thing was that the promotion discussion was mentioned to me like, oh, you're going to get promoted in December or you're going to get promoted in Jan. Jan comes, it's Feb. And so I kind of got sick of the kind of, you know, movement. And so I was like, I just want to, I just wanted to be an AE at that point. I felt like I had learned enough to be an AE. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I just wanted to bounce. So that typical SDR, just hungry to be like a an account exec. Walk me through like that first experience, right? Because it would be it's not it's not easy. What do you mean, first AE experience? Yeah, first AE experience. Yeah, it was a. I think I had a very unique AE experience where <laughs> it was basically. So I had joined. I had joined Coral, which was at the time called Artos. I had joined it because I wanted to be an enterprise AE, which in hindsight was fucking stupid decision <laughs> to be an SDR for a year and a half and decide, mm -hmm. you know what, I'm going to sell enterprise blockchain. Um, <laughs> join, join the company and realized it just wasn't what I had been sold on, right? So we ended up becoming a fucking food delivery app, right? So it was like... It, sorry I shouldn't say this but like it, it was like it was like I, I got sold on basically blockchain was really hot at the time um I wanted to go in there and do enterprise uh enterprise sales or learn at least that that type of thing um the sales leader seemed you know I got told that the sales leader there had you know uh sold the last company he was at for hundreds of millions and you know his last year of trading he made a hundred mil or whatever he got fired a week into me joining or two weeks into me joining. And I was given a laptop and told sell. I didn't even know what we did. And so I had um, I had a colleague, Josh, who was like actually really golden. Um, and actually a lot of people within that business who are still in that business today, I'm very close with. Um, and they have been fantastic mentors, colleagues, whatever. And um, Josh kind of messaged me and he was like, right, this is what we do. Like, this is how you do it. Um, 
and my sales leader wouldn't show up on the so I was like a hybrid SDRAE when I joined um and quickly like sales leader wasn't showing up to the demo so I was just running everything um and so that was kind of I was running like eight eight demos a day um myself and so it got me in a really good stead for discovery um so yeah I found it I found it actually really fun um SDR cold calling that sort of thing you know it's a necessary evil I'd, I'd say in the business like it's fun sometimes but I really enjoy the once you have someone on the hook exploring that business conversation so that was kind of my my start of AE life that's quite interesting like when you've been thrown in the deep end what what did you um how what like what did you do for learnings right like what did you do to make sure that you actually learn how to do discovery yeah so a lot of it was um a lot of it was like online events so um attending some of those um linkedin events that people have a's of london stuff literally um reading some some uh, sales books i think 30 minutes to president's club was a really important one for me as well um and just kind of spending my evenings doing the learning was really important to me and I had been doing that in my previous roles as well um so I always say it's not a case of like when you're looking to become so for example to become an AE you need to be doing AE stuff beforehand and if you're going to become a head of sales you need to be doing head of sales stuff beforehand um it's not the case of you get offered the job and then you you grow into it it's like do the stuff before feel like a bit of imposter while you're doing it but then learn as you go as well. Um, so yeah, that's how I kind of, a lot of self-learning really. Cool, got it. And in terms of that next step, this is the interesting part. This is like the 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 part that, you know, me and you like really hit, hit it off with is that head of sales, right? Young head of sales. How, how did you get, how did you get there, right? So again, that was really interesting. So we had gone through at that point when I started, we were going for a pivot. So we were going from enterprise blockchain to basically a marketplace for um, food and beverage brands. So like your Oatly's to come list on there, things like that. Then we became so I had to build pipe for three different pivots and build sales processes for three different pivots. And so that's where my kind of creativity really came in. And like, I started learning that, okay, it's not about, it's technically not about what you sell. It's about the processes around it. And I think me and you really connect on that, right? It's like, you can kind of give me and you any software in, you know, relatively, and we'll build out a process to how we would go to market and how we would sell it. Um, and get get your initial customers in provide that feedback to products and so as that was happening we were growing I think you know at our peak we were growing like 30% week on week growth me and Josh had way too many demos to handle ourselves to sustain the growth and I had an awesome kind of uh, leader Colin um, who I still talk to as well and he was kind of coaching us through how startups work this that and the other um we hit that growth point and I realized quite quickly that we needed SDRs. I also realized that no one in the business knew what an SDR was. Um, so because our previous sales leader had just been fired, right? Um, so I was kind of pitching to, to you know, the CEO and the, the, the co-founder that, hey, we need SDRs, whatever. And I kind of said like, yeah, 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 fucking go do your thing. And I was like, okay, cool. 
And so I ended up self-sourcing like an SDR team, training them up. And we we lowered the CAC by half because naturally they were on half our salaries, right, as an AE. Um, but they were booking just as much. And I got them into, you know, they started closing demos themselves, things like that. Um, and so I built the team, got them to target for a few months. And that's how I got offered the kind of head of sales role. Um, so but I, it was still like a pitch internally. Um and it was head of it was called actually internally head of growth um or head of acquisition or whatever you want to call it um but yeah that's how i got the job by doing the thing first i remember being when i was kind of moving the head of sales role right but i actually didn't know what i was i was i was sometimes i i used to call myself head of growth sometimes then i used to call myself sales manager sometimes i used to call myself head of sales then vp of sales then i felt like okay team lead like i couldn't figure out what the hell i was yeah yeah and um it's quite interesting because I was just like, okay, when you're at a startup, you, you know, that whole, the, the, like wearing many hats, like it's just, it's there and you have to kind of like embrace it. Um, now in terms of like, I wanted to, like you coached a lot of people, like what kind of coaching methodology or what kind of like coaching framework did you use on people? I think that's a, that's a really interesting question because I'm, I'm normally never stuck to a particular methodology. Um, I think, you know, I think Sandler funnels are really important, but again, like I don't, with me, um, when I'm offering coaching, it's very individualized. So for example, I had these two awesome SDRs, uh, Alan Will, right. And Alan really needed to be coached on performance output, getting his head back into the game making sure he's doing the output because on the phones, he was very slick, empathetic, had all those kind of qualities about him. Will, on the other hand, was the opposite. He could rip the phones all day long, but he really found the timing of conversations a bit more difficult. But eventually, you know, we got them to a point where they they were competing, you know, one month it might be Al, one month it might be Will, and they kind of go head to head together. Um, my favorite ones are obviously like Sandler, um sandler funnels i think they're you know that's the abc's medic is really important as well more for like mid-market or enterprise um and then uh gap selling like gap selling is probably the one that i relate to most um but yeah those are kind of the methodologies that i'd use with the guys it's funny because when i when i like when i learned how to sell i actually didn't get, get taught any methodologies didn't like i just had to figure it out do you know like yeah yeah and and then when you go into that management role i you start to realize shit i need to i actually need to make a bit of a process now you can't just like wing it like and you have to then you start to learn about the methodologies okay i've actually done a bit of this i was doing a bit of that and i did a bit of that then i think okay which yeah yeah <laughs> no, you're back on because i never thought so i remember like the i remember at factory four our, our sales manager at the time he was he was he was big on training and he started a training on like types of questioning now i didn't know what the hell the different types of questioning were but i innately knew it do you know what i mean yeah. so he's he's quizzing me like so what type of question is this about and i'm like i don't i don't know but this is how i'd use it sort of thing and um it's similar to i received an email from a prospect today i stuck on my linkedin as well where he was saying like oh you must have read never split the difference because so i've never read it like it's on my Ooh. it's on my thing but i've never read it and so i'm probably going to read it and find that oh i actually do a bit of that i do a bit of that so yeah mm -hmm. that's what i found in, like when i was learning my trade it's funny because i like people like they read and they do what i found works for me is like i do and then i read because then what I realized is actually, okay, that's what I picked up naturally and that's what I'm missing. 
yeah and yeah. that was quite a good like reflection point for me because i was like okay i've never been one of those guys to study 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 then go like i had to just go and do it um and now in terms of that head of sales role like did you feel any imposter syndrome when you were doing it oh definitely definitely i th i think it was you know what it was so there's two different factors right um there was one my age i was um i just turned 25 maybe maybe i wasn't even 25 it's 24 um so yeah i just turned 25 this may so it's 24 two years into two years into sas really this is my third year um and so when i sat on the same room as someone who's had much more experience or you know i'm with the head of product head of engineering head of whatever, you know, and we're all sat there on a meeting. I almost felt like, is everyone going to take me seriously? And then the other side of it, which, you know, is the kind of a, a different side of it was I was the only colored person as well. And so that had me feeling like, okay, you know, there's a brown boy from MK at 24 years old, become a head of sales at a tech company often, not really. Um, so I was just trying to figure it out, you know? You created a path for everyone out of MK anyway. Like, everyone's like... Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I, freed, I freed up everyone from MK, so now we're all we're all SaaS sellers. Yeah, yeah. that's... Uh, that, that, I had the same thing where I'm like, okay, I'm sitting down with head of sales, trying to speak with the head of sales. I'm like, do I even know? Do I even know my stuff? Like, I was questioning what I was doing. I only, like, because I didn't have perspective, you know, like, I think one of the things that you have to learn in life is just get that perspective. You've like yeah. when you've you've moved role after role after role that you've kind of learned a bit. Like, you've got that. Um, that's yeah, that's <laughs> that's quite interesting. You said that. I think what I find as well, like I don't know about you, but I find like sales to be like the great equalizer, meaning like you can be from any background, any what like any background, any like class, whatever. But if you're good at selling, it'll bring you up in the same like you said in the same table as people that went to whatever university study that science and then they're doing product and whatever but you're there like you know from a different background it's quite interesting no yeah definitely i've I found also like sales leaders don't really care because sales is one of those roles where you're literally a number like and it's as depressing or as nice as that is it's like two sides of it right if you're a good number you're a good number right your sales manager is not gonna care if you're black brown white trans whatever do you know what i mean like it's just this person is killing it, you know? And that's all they care about because they've got to report that number to their VP and their VP's got to report that to the board, right? So no matter what your name is, whatever, you can kind of get on with it in sales. Exactly, that's exactly that. Um, so let's talk about kind of that transition back into an IC role. That's something that there's probably a lot of people out there that maybe are head of sales at a startup, but then... They, they decided whether to go back to an IC role or to go back into management. Walk me through your decision there, because that's a very, very interesting one. Yeah, so that, that was where I called James, actually. Um, so I called James because he had gone from being head of sales at Factory 4 to now like an enterprise AE at Mongo. Um, and, you know, I called him and I, I was kind of trying to, because now I had that title, I was kind of almost like a little bit fixated on it, but my pride was involved there. And so I was like, I was like, oh, you know, because for me, the next logical step was um, VP of sales or, you know, going, being a head of sales somewhere else. 
I quickly realized that, you know, first of all, a head of sales at a certain startup doesn't mean you can be a head of sales at another startup, right? You have to learn all these kind of skills and there were certain kind of pockets which I hadn't fully developed yet. Um, and so I wanted to I wanted to keep my learning going. Um, also, the, the other side of it was like I could, so I did have offers from other startups to be like a head of sales. Um, but the my experience through Coral kind of put me off from being a head of sales at a very small startup um, just because of how that product market fit piece, you know, it's it's almost like you have to really be, and this is where, again, me and you have had conversations on a lot of these startups need someone to advise them or help them on founder-led sales instead of, uh, or have like a fractional VP of sales rather than hiring someone full-time thinking that they're going to solve a product market fit issue. Um, so I called, I called James and I asked him what his opinion was. And he gave me some great advice, which was like, look, you know, you're super early into your career. There's no, there's no need to rush it or skip steps. And that skip steps thing really stuck with me. And he was like, look, once you learn, you know, how to sell mid market, how to sell enterprise, and you're, you're confident in that you've had a few wins under your belt now, but you, you got to get that. You'll keep that momentum going um and yeah once once he kind of said that and and kind of described his outlook on hey once I've done this for a few years I can drop in somewhere else and do xyz and I'd be even better at that head of sales role going back to it I kind of shared that similar outlook where I was like let let me let me go to a place let me be a kick-ass contributor learn learn that type of that type of sales process at a scale up um because I know how to set up seed and series a i want to know series b and beyond now um and then i want to come back and kind of do the head of sales again so from going from like a seed stage to a series b or or to whatever stage and, and have my first few exits that way amazing that's um that takes a lot a lot for to, to put that ego aside you know how hard was that i think for me it was like the ego yes a little bit but like for me um i have a overarching goal right which is like this uh this financial independence piece so i don't want to you know i've already got a few you know thank god i've got like a few things uh, i've got a few properties now i want to keep on buying them and so there's a requirement for me to make a certain amount of money and going down the ae route i was earning you know uh much more than i would have been as a head of sales um at a, a c-state startup Amazing. I guess, uh, and, and what's your, like, in the next 10 years, like, it sounds like you've got some pretty big plans. What's that look yeah, like? Yeah, so I want to, I want to definitely, um, I think, I, I definitely want to start a startup. I think that's, um, that's on the plan. I think by, by 30, so I'm 25 now, by 30, I want to be a VP of sales somewhere, um, you know, and helping grow that function. But I also want to make sure that, you know, part of part of what I want to do as well is I've I think I've accumulated a lot of concentrated experience um early on and I want to help other startups kind of, you know, pass that pass that roadblock. Um but yeah, and then 10 years time, I think, yeah, definitely have my own startup and you know, yeah, see what happens there. Sick. That's good, man. That's amazing to hear. Um, one of the things that we talk about startups and I think you had a really good post on it and 
It's a post that I think everyone needs to see. There's lots of content out there. Startup equity. Like there's probably people listening that have have got it. Like what should people what should people be looking out for? I think so. In my opinion, um, and you know, a lot of people might say I'm wrong for this. In my opinion, if you're not a head of or a VP of, forget the equity. Doesn't exist for you. Um, and you should operate like it doesn't exist, right? No matter what you know, your your drunken CEO tells you on a night out or something like that, right? It's not, or your leadership team, it's a carrot on the stick at the end of the day, right? And so I knew this really early when I was at F4. Um, and you know, you can you can sense the I think when you when you have like a certain gut instinct. So I've been I've been sending since I was 12 years old and dealing with people in this way, right? I have a really good gut instinct about things. And so um, I can tell that, you know, when someone's talking to me, if there's, you know, there's actual real things happening in the background. But my advice is if you're starting a career in in sales and you're an SDR or AM, uh, SMB AE or even a mid-market AE, just forget the equity exists. You need to operate like it doesn't. And you need to strategically kind of maneuver your career based on what you want to learn and your your income, your earned income versus equity. Amazing. I love that. That's what, you know, that's one of the things that I, you kind of wish you learned earlier. And until you get stung by it, you don't know it. Um, and I get that. And there's probably people, people could be listening that's probably like, okay, cool. Advice doesn't understand. You will get stung by it. Um, so just try and, again, remove that emotional side of things. Um, there's a guy in. Um... There's a guy in my comments, sorry to interrupt. There's a guy in my comments on that post. It was really interesting. I think he built something like $2 million for his company or $20 million, something like that for his company. And he was saying that he got absolutely ripped a new one when the company IPO'd and his stock was worth less than, you know, mm-hmm. any commission he's ever received. And so that was really surprising to me because that guy probably added, you know, at the time he exited that company, that's when SaaS multiples were really sky high. So 20 million in revenue is probably 200 plus million on the valuation, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and if that type of guy is being fucked, anyone can be. Exactly. Exactly. So Abbas, I want to wrap up with a few things. Um, number one, if you had a few things, a few like two key things you could tell your younger self or tell someone else in terms of their career, you know, what, what would the two principles be? I think never trust the information you're getting at face value within a business, have contacts, peers outside that you're learning from and always do your own research and always do your own learning. Don't just depend on, you know, you could be some of these um, larger startups have fantastic onboarding and learning programs and things like that, but always take things into your own hands because if you learn, if you and the team are learning the same things, you're going to be the same. What's going to set you apart is what you learn outside of it, where it's like, hey, you've just sat on a webinar that tells you using GIFs, right, in your outreach is going to 10x your, you know, returns on reply rates. And you start doing that. You're the first person in the business that's doing that. Everyone copies you. And so that that would be number one. And um, number two, number two is a bit difficult. So I think... Now, number two, I'd say once you stop learning and earning potential doesn't seem to be rising quickly enough, you can move. I think you've got a grace period at the start of your career, which is you can move around a little bit, but don't 
there's a difference between strategically moving around and job hopping because you're shit. Um, and so that's kind of the, the you know, if you're going to move out of an SDR to an SDR role, make sure that AE thing is in stone or because the what people are finding and people I kind of mentor and help, they've really found it difficult to go from SDR at one company to AE at another company right now anyway. Um, and so you need to be, I don't know how to describe it. Like it's very particular in each use case, you know. Um, there are some companies right now that are hiring fantastic SDRs as junior AEs. Um, and so I think it's just knowing if the move is going to set you back. Because in hindsight, I could have sped up my career. Now, I've already had a very quick career, which, you know, thankfully, but I could have probably sped up my career by six months by just staying on the phones at uh, Global Data and flipping to an AE quicker. Um, so, yeah, that would be my advice. That's quite interesting, actually, when you look back, like, yeah, if you just stuck out of Global Data, then you could have become an AE, and then by now, senior AE, but who knows, and then enterprise AE by 26. It's quite interesting. Um, would there be any any kind of like books or any like YouTube channels that you thought, okay, this is something that I wish I watched earlier. This is something that I wish I knew earlier. I think so. Fanatical prospecting is the one book that I think everyone who's either wanting to be an SDR or has just become an SDR should read. Even existing AEs, if you haven't read that, you should. Um, I think there's a lot of content around. I think Aaron Evans' YouTube channel is really good. Um, I think 30 Minutes to President's Club is my favorite one by far as a sales podcast. Um, and then, yeah, there's like, you know, there's a lot of content I've found on some of these authors' websites. So like Jeb, Jeb Blount, if I'm saying that correctly, or Keenan, who's done gap selling, their websites are just full of sales content that you can kind of absorb, look at. Um, what about yourself? So I never split the difference was one that I I thought okay. was okay. You need to read that. I read that twice, and I don't read books twice usually. But I thought that really was okay. Yeah, there was uh, influence. Influence actually taught me the psychology of people and like put it into like words for me, and that's what really helped me craft up. You know, there's objection handling emails, like things like that. Like okay, I had to I had to learn that specifically because I remember when I was coaching people, they were saying, you know, Leah, you break it down so well. That's because I had to learn it and I had to figure out why am I, why am I doing it? Why am I doing it? Why am I doing it? And so that was one book that I actually had an impact on me. Um, I read another one which helped called Principles by Ray Dalio. Um, that was a, a really good book. In terms of YouTube, I think I, I haven't consumed much sales YouTube content as much as I, I could have or should have. Um, I spend more time listening to, to podcasts uh, but my my podcast is slightly different. I listen to like Patrick Bet David and so on. Like they just talk like a lot of business and like a lot of how things like the economy works. Uh, yeah, another yeah. thing I'm, I'm quite big on is like I listen to this economist called Thomas Sowell. Very interesting. Um, Thirty minutes to President Club. I get like you, just amazing, amazing. I was like, okay, I should have started that. I should have done that. Like it was so good, you know. Um, those are those are the things that have had i remember had an impact on my career i think another thing that worked for me as well was flip the script are you familiar with that no no flip, no flip the script is a free sales content uh, created by i think her name's beck holland um she was like a head of sales development at chorus that was really good that was like 
that was like the tutoring that I needed. I was like, oh my God, I wish I had this. But I remember when I was, I was reading it. Um, so that that's mine. Quite a lot of mixed stuff there. Um, but yeah, Abbas, thank you for, for your time today. Um, really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you have as well. And if there's anything you guys need, drop Abbas a message on LinkedIn. He does career consulting as well. So if you guys need some advice, he has a website on his wire and you can check that out and, and book a time with him. Perfect, man. Thank you, Leo, for uh, having me. And until next time. My pleasure. Take care.